will be our text this morning, verses 9 and 10. If you don't have a Bible, um, the words will be ahead of you, in front of you on the screen. We also have a Bible for you as a gift. Make sure that you take one before you leave, either from this table or downstairs. I am glad to see every single one of you here. They say that um, it's a great song that we just sang, Behold Our God. But I also have that song, Showers of Blessing, Mercy Drops Round As Her Falling, But For Your Mercies We Plead. You know that's him, that old hymn? I've been raining. It's been raining like all day. Uh, they say that rain is a sign of blessing. And so I just want to remind you that we are blessed and that you are blessed this morning. Uh, welcome you in the name and greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, within our church, we have bookended. We have couples that have been married for about five months up to couples that have been married for more than five decades. Five months to five decades. Uh, let, me, let me encourage every single married couple um, to make this coming weekend, Friday and Saturday, a priority. Um, the church as we move forward, it's going to be as strong as our families. Our families are going to be as strong as our marriages. Uh, Wendy and I have been married for 28 years. Uh, forgive me, Wendy. I said it was 27 in the first service, but you weren't here. Is that one bad year we just kind of want to hope we forget about? I think it's really 28 years. And so we have much to learn, but we also want to offer the little bit that we know to other couples as well. And so I would encourage you, um, please make that a priority as we move forward for the gospel in the community God has called us to live and serve in. Great text, heavy text. Um, we need the Lord's help. And I need the Lord's help. So I would ask that you would bow with me and pray. Um, as we seek to listen to his spirit and learn from his word. Father, I rejoice that you have given to us the freedoms and the grace to meet like this and to just lift up our voices and, and sing, Behold our God, how amazing. We thank you, Lord, for every person that is here. I pray, Lord, that you would minister in a unique way as only you can uh, to every single soul. But I thank you that uh, your word never returns void, that there is always, always something that we can glean, we can, we can learn from, learn about. Father, I, I just pray, I, I pray continually for the concert family as they are just they're heavy, heavy on my heart. I pray for our sister Charlotte and her family. God, I just pray that we would continue to strive to minister to them and to minister well for your glory. Father, I pray for other, others that perhaps are struggling in, in a time of darkness, um, that you, Lord, would be the light and that you would remind them of who you are in all of your fullness and all of your greatness and all of your glory. Father, I would just pray right now that you would fill me, complete me, and use me however you see fit. I am in constant uh, and desperate need for your help. I ask, Lord, that you would be everything that you promised to be. We love you. We thank you for your patience 
and grace in loving us. We ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, we have been involved the last several weeks in a, in a series, what we call Rescued, why we as a church are called to reach out to connect with the community that we're called to live in. We talk about one primary objective is to mobilize us as a local church to move us, to get us moving, perhaps in ways that we've never really moved before. We mobilize the local church to develop meaningful relationships, relationships that count, relationships that connect with purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm still amazed and surprised that a lot of people don't even know how to build healthy relationships with the purpose of sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to develop meaningful relationships so that we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. What? What? We, we, have, we have the good news, and we know that it is the Lord Jesus Christ and his message of his death, burial, and resurrection that offers what a transformed life. And that's the message that we want to continue to present. We want to lead with that. We lead with all gospel. We lead with full gospel. So, so today what we're going to do is we're going to begin to what I call make the corner from what we believe, what, what we teach, what our message is to the how, okay? We've talked the last couple of weeks about the what. We, we know all the way back from creation in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were given opportunity to enjoy all of God's blessing, but one tree they ate, they disobeyed, and as a result of that, we are all born in sin as sinners. But we learn in Romans what? What? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to get us. He came to rescue us and to redeem us through his perfect and sinless life, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have been, we've learned about some big words. We've been justified. Justification is being declared righteous before God. Although we're sinners, he points at us and says, you're not guilty because of the work of my son, Jesus. And we know that because, and if we put our trust in Jesus, not only are we justified, but we promise to be sanctified. The process of sanctification is, is the Lord setting us apart for a sp- particular and special use for his glory. It's going to take time. We know that God promises to give us the ability to bring to life a, a new way of thinking, to put to death in an old way of living. But, but he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We're going to talk what? Now from the what to the how. Knowing that you and I were drowning. But someone named Jesus jumped in. And he was the only one that could ever save us. But he did more than just, he did more than just keep us from drowning. Jesus did more than just keep us from dying. He, he what? He held us and he carried us to safety. And he dried us off and he warmed us up and he gave to us nourishment and clean clothes and dry clothes. He gave to us a new name and he gave to us swimming lessons and he gave to us a a life preserver and he trained us how to teach other people about the same good news that we have received. You realize that we have been rescued. We have been rescued not so we can rescue others, but so we can introduce others 
to the one who rescued us. Let, let, let me say that again. We have been rescued, but not so we can rescue others, but so we can introduce others to the one, to the one who has rescued us. Introduce others. Others means what? Connection. Others means relation. Others means relationship. So we go from the what to the how. Hear me on this. The how. How is this going to happen? The how is you. But not not you like of yourself. You with the word of God. And you with the spirit of God. That's, that's the how it's going to happen. You are the vehicle by which God has chosen to further his kingdom with the good news of Jesus for his glory. Like, all right, if it's us, like this is, as, this is as good as it looks. All right, this is as good as it gets. How do we do this? How do we minister? How do we connect with others with purpose? How do we relate? Paul has written a letter here. We're going to read verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a minute. But just to kind of set as far as, well, why are we in 2 Corinthians? Please understand that, that Paul has already written 1 Corinthians. It's referred to as the serious letter or a severe letter. He writes it to the church, a group of believers in the city of Corinth. He writes it in the early part of A.D. 55. The reason is Paul had planted this church and he gets word that there's problems in the body. There's immoral living. There's a rebellion from the gospel. There's false teachers and false teaching. There's dissension. And so he writes the serious letter. But the good news is what? By the latter part of this same year, A.D. 55, Paul is at this point in Ephesus. He gets word from Titus that guess what? The church at Corinth has repented. Chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians talks about that. That they've heard and that they are changing their lifestyle. They're changing their lives. So 2 Corinthians has a much more gentle and encouraging tone. And what Paul does is he writes, he wants to rid out the remnants, make sure that there's no more troublemakers, but he also encourages them on to faithful ministry. How does Paul encourage this church on in faithful ministry? He uses his own life as an example. Why? Because Paul knows as difficult, as hard as it has been, Paul knows that his life, just like your life and my life, is here for a person for a purpose to help other people see Jesus. You understand that? That you exist for a purpose and that purpose, just like Paul's, is to help other people see Jesus. Paul has been afflicted. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. We're not told specifically what it is. Uh, some kind of physical ailment, an emotional weakness, spiritual adversary at some level. It says that he has prayed three times, please take this from me. Please remove this. Please take this away. And the response is the response that we read right here. God says, no, I'm, I'm not going to take it away. Listen very carefully. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, our text for this morning. But he said to me, The words in many Bibles are in red. Jesus has revealed. 
to Paul. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, my insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to actually look at this text from the bottom and make our way up to the top. The first point I want to give you this is, is this this morning. If we're going to effectively communicate, if we're going to relate with those in our community with the gospel. Number one, we have got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. What does he say in verse 10? He says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. In testimony this morning, uh, Matt shared, and I appreciate his honesty to say at best, He's average. I probably agree. In all honesty, I would love to be average. I, I, in a sense, am coming from what? I am well below average in many, many ways. To be perfectly honest, by the time I was seven years old, I had a speech impediment. I stuttered horribly. Um, I struggled in school by third grade, I had to have a, a, a personal math tutor that my parents were paying for. He worked with me all night one night, and as he walked out the door, I was in the other room, and I heard him say this, I don't know if there's anything else I can do with him. Third grade. Graduated at the bottom of my class. By the time I was going to college, the first time I wrote my SATs, they're back in the days where the SAT results were mailed to you, okay? And so what had happened is I wrote my SATs and they were mailed to my home. My parents received them and opened them before I got home from school and burned them so that I, to this day, do not go know what I got on my SATs. So I don't think they did it to keep my head from swelling up, if you know what I mean. Uh, I went to college, barely, and really went to play baseball. In order to be eligible, I needed a 2.0 GPA. My first semester of my freshman year, I remember getting in my little mailbox, number 256 in the basement of the mailroom at college. I remember I got my slip of paper that said my first semester GPA, I needed 2.0. It was 2.015, and I have that piece of paper to this day. Below average at best. And yet even since a child, my mom and dad would always have their house filled with people. And even as a little one, my mom would comment that I would just sit in the corner and I would listen to people as they were talking. They were, they were in youth ministry. And I just listened. Below average at best, and yet God has given me a love for people and he has given to me a love for the word of God. And my only job since that time is to bring those two together and offer that as a sacrifice for his glory. I have come to the place that I have said, I don't have it. 
but I do have him. I have him. I don't know who said it. I wish I would have written this down. It certainly was not me. Listen to this. The greater the Christian's acknowledgement of weakness, the more evident Christ's enabling power. Which means, it means that the, the, the quicker and the more honest that you can be to just admit it, that you don't have it all. I don't care how smart you are. There's someone that's smarter. I don't care how fast you are. There's someone that's faster. I don't care how strong you are or how rich you are. There's someone who's one step ahead of you. Now, if we are to be effective, we're not like, play in church here. We're not like, we don't have a club. If we are to be effective in establishing and building healthy relationships with other people, then we must first and foremost be open and completely honest with ourselves, all of ourselves, all of the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the really, really, really ugly. I'm not talking about the fact I wish my nose was a little smaller. I wish I, was, I wish I was a little thinner. I wish I was a little smarter. I'm not talking about that silly and shallow stuff. At first, listen, it seems actually quite easy to do. Just, like, just be honest. Call it what it is. But why is it so hard that if we take a good, hard, long, deep look inside of our heart and our mind and our soul, Why is it that we oftentimes don't like what we see? And yet for some reason, the automatic response is, yeah, but I'm a little better than him. I've got it a little bit better than she does. And what we try to do in some kind of a mock way is we try to pretty ourselves up and make ourselves look better and stronger and more stable than we actually are. And yet we have the Apostle Paul, the instrument of God's grace at this time. The Apostle Paul himself uses this term, content with my weaknesses, which means he's acknowledging the fact at some level there have been shortcomings or insufficiencies. That idea here has to do with what? Rejoice. Rejoicing, some translations use that term. Rejoicing in our weaknesses. Personality flaws, we've all got them. Weak tendencies, all all the difficult circumstances that we have faced. I am certain that this thorn in the flesh has not been mentioned by design so that it applies to what? The fact that some of you weren't brought up in a godly home. You were drug up in an ungodly home. Some of you to this day lay your head on the pillow at night and close your eyes and you still hear the swears and the cursings of the way that your father talked to your mother. Some of you have suffered abusive relationships. Some of you as a young couple have suffered a loss of a miscarriage. Some people here I know had a spouse that just left them, abandoned them. They walked out on them. Had a child get sick or die. You got laid off. You were like, you were doing the best that you could do and they just cut you. At some level, what? You have been mocked or ridiculed and you have faced nothing that the apostle Paul has not faced. He talks about 
disasters and mishaps and misfortunes. I don't think any one of us have been beat, whipped 49 times. One less than the time that would kill you, and that's happened on three separate occasions. I don't think any one of us have been shipwrecked on three different times and, and jailed unjustifiably, have been have been lied about, one injustice after another injustice. And yet rather than what? The proverbial kicking of the dirt, throwing of your glove, stomping of your feet, rather than the proverbial shaking of your fist at God, saying, it's not fair, it's just not right. We actually come to the place of acceptance. What does it say? I am, I am content with my weaknesses for the sake of Christ. Reverse that. It, it reads, for the sake of Christ, first and foremost, I am content. Remember this whole process of sanctification that we are in? God is faithful. What? He is, he is faithful to set you apart and to make you holy. It's going to come by what? Thinking new stuff, thinking different stuff, thinking true stuff. If we are honest with ourselves and we've got to be transparent, we must admit, I have struggled with contentment with who I am, with how God has made me. Can I remind you of this? That God has made you perfectly imperfect. So you see him. You realize that contentment comes from full knowledge of the truth. Can I, can I repeat that? Contentment comes, a sense of peace and settledness. I'm able to actually rejoice in my weaknesses. Contentment comes from knowledge of the truth. You know what you and I know? You know what we know for certain? You know what is true? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I hate watching a game on like DVR or what's the... Record it, stuff like that. Like watch an old game, it's already been played, like it's over with. And like, let's go back and watch. No, it's already over. I know who wins. I don't like to watch a ball game like that, but I tell you what, in, in life, in all of the difficult slop that exists around us on a, on a constant and continual basis, I want to know how it ends. And it ends well. Go for just one chapter. Listen to, to, listen to Paul's final greetings. His final words to this church. We pick up in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Wait a minute. They've been through some difficult times. They've been subject to false teachers and false teaching. They have been backbiting and infighting. There's been dissension. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for complete healing. Listen to these words, comfort one another. Come alongside. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a cultural acceptance, okay? That's a figurative holy kiss today. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul's just reminding, guess what? Guess what? He is sufficient. 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and we know the end of the story. Jesus wins. Be honest with yourself first. Secondly, be transparent with others. Be transparent with others. Working our way from bottom to top. Look what it says in the latter part of verse nine. Therefore, I will boast. I'm actually going to brag all the more gladly of my weaknesses so, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not only do we come to a place of acceptance of our weaknesses, but now what? We utilize, we use the weaknesses that God has given to others to show what? The power that exists in the name and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an ancient proverb from the Middle East that says this. You've probably heard it a thousand times. All sunshine makes a desert, which means I love blue skies and fluffy clouds. Who doesn't want that? I love sunny days. We love sunny sunshine. And yet do you realize that if it's only what? Blue skies. If it's only bright sunshine, it results in what? Dryness. It results in deadness. It results in barrenness. But it's days like today that are necessary. Where storm clouds roll in and there are dark clouds and hard rains. Why? Because that is what brings fullness and freshness and newness and life to trees and food and flowers. Such such is life. God uses what? The dark times. Do you understand that? You you hit rewind to, to your earliest memories. You're like, yeah, there's some horrible memories. There's some horrible times. There's some difficult circumstances I had to live through and work through. It's just not right. It's just not fair. God uses dark times and hard times and storms actually help shape us and make us perfectly imperfect. Realize that a weak God, this is the, this is the garbage of prosperity theology, the prosperity gospel, false gospel. A weak God uses only what success and ease and opulence and comfort and you deserve this and this is what's in it for you. A weak God uses only that, only sunshine for you to trust and to see his so-called glory. But let me remind you of this. A powerful God uses all circumstances. A powerful God uses all hardships and heartaches and hard days, failures, times you've fallen on your face. Powerful God uses moments like that for you to recognize what your weakness, weakness and his strength. He what reveals his glory. We preach, I say it loudly. Talk a lot about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Within that word, sovereign is the word reign, that God reigns and rules over all circumstances, and he does. But you can be assured of this, that it is a whole lot easier to talk about God's sovereignty than it is to trust and believe and live in submission to his sovereignty. 
if we truly believe, as it says in Scripture, Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His. If we honestly believe that, all things, you mean the ugliness that you've been subject to, the unfair treatments? Wait a minute, the shipwrecks and the stonings and the beatings and the insults, all things work together for, for good? Yeah, yeah, but I, I suffered abuse as a child. I was raped. Yeah, yeah, people, people did things to me, and I was raised in a horrible, horrible setting. Some of you can identify with that. God takes all things, and he turns them, revealing his power for his glory to be revealed. We, we must come to a place where we learn to be open with one another, to let them actually hear and see and know of our weaknesses. Why? Because it's the power of God that takes ashes, as Isaiah says, what? And he turns them into a beautiful headdress. We don't, we don't bring glory to God by being amazingly strong. We, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. The Bible says that we are to be boasting gladly in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. And that whole idea of boasting and bragging in weaknesses is in complete contradiction to every message that you will ever hear in the world today. It runs incomplete. The world says you boast in your strengths. Well, God's word always, always runs in contradiction to the messages, the ideologies and philosophies of this world. The, the, the world says what? You better be first. The word of God says, no, you actually are to be last. You let everyone go ahead of you. That's what the word of God says. The world says what? You better hold on to everything that you can get. You better grab. You only go around once. So you hoard it. You, you keep your stuff and your toys filled in your garage and, and hold on to your monies and pad your bank accounts. And yet the word of God says, no, you actually serve and sacrifice and give it away. It's the best thing that you can do. That's what the word of God says. The, the, the world says it's always about you. And the Bible says it's never about you. Some of you have come into church this morning saying, please give me something that I need just to make it through another week. But wait, wait a minute. Even, even that consumer give me is wrong. Pastor Stewart reminded us what? He's a young man. And that's a young couple who's learning how to do like marriage and they want to do marriage well. And they what? Have to have other people Give to them. They're in need. He admits that. Every one of us come in here in need. And yet for some reason, for some reason, that word weaknesses, asthenia, is totally foreign. It it translates incapacities, limitations. The, The King James uses the word infirmities. And we just like, we don't go there. We don't want to go there. You mean, you mean every fault, every problem, every, every wart and weakness, I've got to like open up and let others? Yeah. That's being real. 
as being honest. Totally, totally, totally foreign in today's what? Facebook, ever edited, airbrushed, touched up world. We, we, we control the messages that we put out, right? I don't know a lot about Facebook. I've never had to click the thing, will you please be my friend? Like click, I just can't do that. All right, please be my friend, click. Like check yes or no. I just couldn't send that note, sorry. And yet what happens is that we control what? In this selfie crazed world, we control the lighting. Don't put that picture out there. My arm looks flabby. And so we want, we want to make sure that everyone sees that we have like the greatest date night of any couple in the entire church. Man, they must be amazing. And the vacations and they eat at the best restaurants and look at the food and we're taking pictures of our food and we're showing everyone, yeah, that's the food. Do you know what your food looks like now? <laughs> see, see, this whole idea where we live with the concept of we want other people to look at us and say, oh, we just want to live just like them. They're just living the dream. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not honest. That's not real. It's okay to not be okay. If we're going to connect, if we're going to relate, sure, we shine up well on a Sunday morning, but I tell you what, gang, you're not fooling anybody. Every sin that is represented in that community is represented right here in this own body. That we, in a sense, have to fall on our face and plead and beg, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We have to be transparent. It's interesting that God oftentimes uses other people in this process. Like, they get it. I left you a quote I'll read. It's the recovery redemption book that we've been kind of working our way through. And Chandler says it like this. He says, the cross of Jesus, while definitely meant to include us in the family of God, is also designed to out us as people who desperately need what its forgiveness and power provide. The redeeming work of Christ, therefore, is not a means of making us superhuman. It actually reveals to us being very human, men and women who depend totally and only on God. And again, it runs in contradiction because you think you can run your life the way that you think it should be run. And we're not being real. Thirdly and finally, and I would, I would say most importantly, We are to be satisfied with God. This text is introduced. He leads with this. I conclude with it. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, my charis. Personally. What I've offered to you is what? Archaeo. It's sufficient. It's enough. You ever, you, ever, you ever push back from the table after a feast before? <laughs> it's a great feeling. Oh, stuffed. Stuffed. I can't, I can't eat anything more. I'm satisfied completely. I don't want no, no. Put the dessert away. I've had enough. I'll eat that later. 
but it's that, it's that sense of satisfaction. That is what we are supposed to simply what bathe in when it comes to understanding of God's grace. I've heard it best described like this, the great comfort to us, whatever our troubles are, and there are troubles, whatever our temptations are, whatever the thorns in our flesh are, whatever pains us, that God's grace is sufficient, which means what? There is no reason to complain. How much, how much of our conversations throughout the day, the course of a day or a week is negative? If only you wouldn't believe what that person did. And it's complaint after complaint after complaint after negative, rude comment. It has nothing, according to what, did, okay? God's grace is what? That is the good will of God towards us. He gives to us everything in order to enlighten us. He gives to us everything to enliven us. What? He gives to us everything that is sufficient to strengthen and comfort us, to support our souls and cheer our spirits, even in the midst of afflictions, troubles, and distresses. Not only does what his grace is God's will of God toward us, but it's the good work of God in us that we receive from the fullness that, that, that Christ is. He is our head. From him, what? Everything is given that is suitable and sufficient. Jesus Christ understands your case. Do you realize that when he jumped into this world, he was born in a baby, as a baby, in a manger. He came, left the glories of heaven to come into the stink and the filth of this world. He understood exactly what you are going through, what you feel. He was what? He was all man and felt every desire and yearning ache that we as men feel. And yet he was perfectly sinless. He was what? He was God incarnate. We believe in the deities, one of the most primary foundational doctrines, the deity of Christ. The Christ was fully man and yet fully God. Hard to comprehend and wrap our minds around, but it was done, why? So that we can understand that you and I don't have to pretend any longer. You're not fooling anyone. You don't have to wish that you were someone else. You don't have to wish that you were someplace else. You don't have to, to, to live for and long for what's next. It's just, it's just around the corner. It's just, it's just one more degree. This is one more job. It's one more step up the, the, the ladder. And you live longing for what's next as opposed to enjoying who God has created you. You're perfectly imperfect. You don't have to pursue perfection. Why? Because you can't attain it. But you belong to one. You belong to the only one who is perfect. So you take that message and you pray, God, just, just allow me to marinate in that this week. Help me to be real. Help us to learn to go deep. Take a long, hard look at our life. And trust Jesus who says, my grace 
is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And we ask you that you would give to us the strength to be obedient to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us, please, as we close.